0: Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. It's cracked, and we're
1: live. Now minus two. So,
0: what did you? Uh, what a what tonight! What are you going with here?
1: I've got a true blonde from Sky Brewing. What about from Sky Brewing, Ska. like the Ska. Wyoming one or the month? Sky Brewing, it's in Durango, Southern Colorado. Southern oh, Durango. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. I. Oh, uh, well, I have... got a Colorado. I got a Breckenridge Brewery. I've got this Resolution Blueberry, Ikea, 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 Ikea Golden Ale. How do you say that? A C A I. Oh, Acai. Acai?
1: Acai. Think. Think
0: after. 10 years of school, I could spell a fruit, acai, <laughs> but looks fruity. It looks good.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. We're both going Colorado. Well, nice.
0: Perfect. All right. So we are going to kick off. Uh, this should be episode two here, um, but I wanted to get on my good buddy, Nate Green. Nate is a co-resident of mine. We met in residency, uh, in pediatric dental residency at the University of Iowa, <laughs> but I wanted to get Nate on because, uh, you know, we've been really good buddies after meeting in residency and I've always really appreciated how, um, you know, he's, he's always been, I've always thought you've been really good with hand skills, good with kids, very efficient with your time. And in residency, you and I kind of grew off each other a lot as far as um, increasing speed. So kind of the theme I wanted to stick to today, you know, uh, was just to kind of brainstorm on some things that you and I do to increase speed, increase efficiency, you know, get these kids in and out of the chair faster, which is kind of the name of the game in peds. Uh, So I told Nate, you know, we could both write down a handful of ideas on things that we do, um, you know, in clinic to kind of increase our speed and efficiency with some of these kiddos. But I figured first I'd, uh, you know, I'm not real good with introduction, but I figured I'd um, let you take my first second and just kind of maybe tell everybody, you know, prior to us meeting what your background was and your, you know, I know you could have um, um, like a, unusual or kind of non-traditional route into dentistry and residency and all that. So if you don't mind, maybe get everybody caught up with kind of your path in dentistry and where you're at now and what your practice is. Good stuff.
1: All right. Well, thanks Casey. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this is exciting stuff. Casey, Casey gets my co-resident, getting a podcast <laughs> going. That's good. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like the theme that it involves drinking a beer while we do this that's good, dude. Always, I'm all about it. <laughs> so yeah, like Casey said, uh, he and I were co residents at, at the University of Iowa Pediatric Dentistry from let's see, 2017 to we got done in 2019. Right. And then I, I was, I'm a 2008 graduate of uh, dental school at, at University of Nebraska, uh, and then I did an AEGD for a year after that in Kansas City at UMKC. Uh, I worked as a general dentist for uh, a number of years before going back to to residency in pediatrics um i was i worked as a general dentist underneath a pediatric dentist who was my the owner of my clinic and i i I did that for a number of years fell in love with pediatric dentistry and i uh i always wanted to get into pediatric residency but it took me quite a while to get in my dental school grades were less than stellar so it took me a while to get in but i finally did and got into the University of Iowa where I was co resident with Casey and there was uh, three other co-residents in our class and we had a great group and we all learned a lot from each other and uh here we are now 2 years later enjoying the fruits of our uh residency mm-hmm. labors
0: <laughs> and uh and you're out in Denver now um at kind of a small group practice is that right
1: Yep I'm in Denver now working uh, Comfort Dental is a is a is a big group of practices here in Denver. There it's mostly general dentists and then there's a there's three pediatric dentists within Comfort Dental. And we all work together and we split time between four different offices as well as uh, some surgery centers and um, hospitals.
0: Gotcha. Well okay. um, break down like what, what's your schedule look like now at your current office? Cause you and I, you know, professional careers go are on a little bit different track. To, um, you know, me being a startup, but it's obviously not not going to be quite as busy seeing 50 kids a day or whatever, right. you know, six months in. But um, I know your office is fairly busy, but, you know, what's your patient demographic like and what kind of, you know, what kind of patient volume are you doing and number of ops and all that stuff? What's a typical day look like for you?
1: Oh, so a typical day. We probably see in our office somewhere between uh, 30 to 40 kids on a typical day. Um, yeah. Once in a while, we'll have a spike where we'll see more, you know, up to 45 or 50 kids on, a, on maybe a school holiday or, or it might be we only see 20 to 25 kids if it's like uh, maybe the first day of school or something like that. For the most part, though, about 30 to 40 kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of Medicaid. Most, most of our kids are, are, uh, are Medicaid patients. Um, we do see some private pay and some self-pay as well. But for the most part, uh, the, kids, the kids have Medicaid insurance. Okay,
0: um, so you guys are definitely pretty a pretty operative heavy practice. Yeah, like operative heavy, operative practice.
1: heavy, and certainly a setting in which uh, efficiency is is very beneficial to to both ourselves and um, as well as the patients. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you know, I b- before I figured we'd dive into this list. I was curious when thinking about this, but when you got to residency, you and I kind of started hitting on some of these efficiency points and stuff. But have you always kind of worked at that pace and really been, you know, uh, of that mindset of, you know, speed and efficiency? Is that something you kind of developed over time working at some of these different offices prior yeah, to? De- to-
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely something. That, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Case. That definitely something mm-hmm. that uh, that developed over time you know, working in a kid's practice initially, I kind of had no idea what I was doing (laughs) because I was, Mm -hmm. you know, a trained general dentist who I didn't know a lot about what to do with kids. Uh, But I learned pretty quickly that um, efficiency is very important when you're working with kids because the child's uh, attention span is much less than that of of an adult. So you've got, uh, you know, a limited amount of time to get uh, the work done that needs to be done. And in order to do that, um, You got to be as efficient as you can. And it, it, you know, it's, we're talking about efficiency and it, I suppose we should maybe touch on why it's important to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And I, my thinking is that, you know, kids, there's a lot, a lot of things that a kid would rather do in his life or her life than go to the dentist. Right. And, mm-hmm. and is it, whatever we can do to uh, minimize the amount of time that they've got to spend in the dental chair, in my opinion, is going to be nothing but beneficial for that kid. So and, and, uh, to extend that out, it's, it's beneficial for the parents as well. Cause you know, the less time that they have to spend in the dental office, the more time they get to spend doing everything else that they need to and want to do in life. So I think it's important to be as efficient as possible for, for those reasons. And, yeah. and like I said, I, I wasn't real efficient when I got started with kids, but as time went on, uh, with repetition and also learning, you know, how to be mm-hmm. efficient, those, those, uh, my efficiency just kept improving as time went on. I'm still trying to improve as, you know, as still trying to improve now, still trying to become more and more efficient with things.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Like any good dentist, you know, sure.
1: like
0: I feel like you get some of those guys that just are always trying to figure out like, you know, how can I do this better? And then you get some dentists that just, you know, kind of get stuck in their ways and don't ever really try to push themselves or think outside the box. And, uh, and I, I, Speaking highly of both ourselves, but I feel like we both do a good job of trying to uh, get creative and think outside the box and kind of figure out ways to make, make lives easier for us and for the kids and all that good stuff.
1: Right, right, right. Um,
0: well, let me uh, let me kick off. I scribble down, I think I've got five things on this list here, and I'm sure a couple of them were probably similar on, um, but I'll kick it off and we can go back and forth. I don't know if you had a couple things kind of scribbled down here, but I can kick us off if you don't mind.
1: Cool. Go for it, man. Yeah, okay. So,
0: this was one I can credit to you because you got me on this, but, uh, the isolate, if you had to ask me what's one piece of dentistry or, you know, one piece of technology I couldn't live without hands down the isolate it's, um, you know, in, in our training and in dental school, I use the rubber dam a lot, It worked great, um, works well in a lot of people's hands, but, uh, you know, you got me hooked on the isolate with the idea that, you know, you can do every you know, you can do twice as much dentistry in one appointment because you can do two quadrants. And it was a little awkward at first and it's a little hard to work around, but uh, I think there's definitely a big trend in using the ice light in, at least in the world of pediatric dentistry. Um, But, you know, I think, in my new dental office, I bought a couple Kona adapters and I bought an ice light system and I bought also a rubber dam kit and have it all put together. And one day, like a few months ago, I told my assistant, you know, she knows I use the ice light for every single operative patient. I'm like, Hey, just bust that rubber dam kit out just for, just for shits and giggles. So she grabs it and I try to put it on the kid and uh, you know, the, I didn't, it was like a small filling or something and the lingual wasn't real numb. And I put that clamp on it, start squeezing his tooth and he starts having a panic attack. So I immediately took it off and threw it back <laughs> in the drawer and haven't touched it since. But yeah, dude, um, I'm, I'm assuming this is on your list, but Isolite, dude, I mean, I pretty much do all my treatment planning since I see a lot of Medicaid as well. It's, I, I if at all possible, I try to do half mouth dentistry and use an Isolite, you sure. know, and we're just, it's nice. Cause you can add on sealants, you know, your isolation is so much better. You're protecting the airway right? and uh, it gives right. you no reason not to do you know good half-mouth dentistry you know the only time i'll break it into four appointments anymore is if i think the pe- the parent financially can't swing it you know like if each quadrant's going to be 800 bucks or something and you know and they've got to fork out a ton of money you know yeah. i i've gotten burned a few times almost being too efficient like if you do four stainless steel crowns and a couple pulps on the right side of the mouth and you know then they come back and they ah, they couldn't pay today or something or they don't you know they skip their copay. all of a sudden you're out a ton of money so you know, in those instances, I'll do quadrant dentistry, but otherwise the Isolite's been pretty, pretty game changing. And I can uh, credit you for that, but I'm going to just guess that that was probably on your list as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. The, the Isolite is, is, uh, is, is definitely something I can't practice without, wouldn't want to practice without, put it that way. The, the, I think for, for a few reasons, it's great. One and you kind of touched on it when you, when you mentioned that it protects the airway, but it's, it, it not only protects the airway from, um, from everything we're spraying in the mouth, as well as what we might accidentally drop, it's going to catch all that stuff. And then it's also more robust than a rubber dam, it's thicker. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if you've got a you know, a head movement and you have maybe a wayward spinning burr um, that might otherwise dig into a cheek or a tongue, you got the isolate there to protect it so that it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah.
1: So I find that to be very very comforting for for myself to know that that's in the mouth of protecting the kids you know as much as possible what, would <laughs> you,
0: you know what i love i love it in uh, in like residency when you've got a an instructor that's really big into the rubber dam and how how that's the standard of care and not the ice light but then they're in there and you're like trying to prep the distal of tooth tea to get a crown on right. and you cut that rubber dam and the whole thing splits wide open and the, <laughs> you know there's water going everywhere and the kids gagging yes. and it's like just let's just walk through how is this better isolation than just putting in the big old rubber fish tail and calling sure it a day,
1: sure know? and when you speak of, when you speak about you know for example tooth teeth specifically if you're putting a crown on that tooth well if you want to try the crown on it's pretty hard to do that if there's a clamp on the tooth so then you've got to take the clamp off the tooth kick the rubber dam out of the mouth and now you're trying to crown on with a with a unprotected airway right so that's that's yeah. that's a situation that's avoided completely when you have the isolate in there because you can try the crown on and then when you're the great thing too when you're taking that crown off um if you if you got to pop it off mm-hmm. yeah if you if you pop it off and you happen to not catch it with your with the fingers of your other hand then the isolate will um catch it in the back of the mouth and protect the airway that way so it's right. really it's really a great it's really a great tool that we can use for for patient safety and then, like you said it as well, it's, it's going to be more efficient because you can um, prep two quadrants of dentistry and, and restore two quadrants of dentistry mm-hmm. um, rather than just this one one quadrant with a rubber band. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Okay, so isolate, check. Uh, what do you got? You got anything on your list there?
1: Um, you and I were kind of discussing what we might talk about tonight the other day, I, and I mentioned, um, well, okay. I guess before I even say this, I think what and what i've learned about being efficient is if it's not necessarily one one um one silver bullet that's gonna that's gonna increase your efficiency by a by a whole lot but it's kind of a a lot of little things that all put together that will add up to to making you more efficient Mm. and maybe one of those little things that i've just started doing recently is um when i'm doing class two class two fillings um i'd like to Etch the put the etch on the tooth. You will prep the prep the prep the uh, cavity, and then put the etch in the cavity prep, and then put the matrix on the tooth. That way, you're you're letting the the etch set in and do the etching while you are fumbling around and trying to get that matrix on the tooth. And so, by the time you finally get the matrix on the tooth and get the wedge in place, then the etch has done its job, and you're immediately ready to rinse it off and place bond and place your composite.
0: Oh, see, yeah, uh, that makes so much sense because. I mean, to your point, you know, it's the little things that add up, but right there, you're saving yourself 20 seconds of just staring at this pile of blue goo, you mm-hmm. know, waiting for it to do its thing. Right. Um, and you know, and I actually, I can piggyback off that because one of the, my number four on my list of five was my local anesthetic order. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things that I've been doing now is with the ice light in, I'll, I'll go in and do my, you know, topicals, been sitting kids on laughing gas. I'll come over and do a little blip of septo you know, um, you know, in the vestibule top and bottom or whatever, if I'm doing yep. a couple crowns or class twos, but then I'll start, you know, I almost immediately just start on the sealants and I'll um pumice some and start doing sealants well while the etch is on, I'll let's say it's like a, you know um early mixed dentition kid I'm doing sealants on three and thirty and then I'm doing a couple crowns up front. I'll do my little this. start soaking in to kind of get the profound anesthesia. I'll put my etch on. And then while my etch is sitting on the occlusal of the tooth, I'll grab my syringe again. Cause by then it's been, you know, a couple of minutes and then I'll go in and do my PDLs and, you know, try and get the proximals and, you know, into that frication space and the lingual. And then I, you know, and by that time the kid's basically numb, you just got to go make sure you're fine tuned and getting the lingual and, and all that stuff. And then I recap, put down, it takes me about 30 seconds to do it. And then the etch has been sitting there and and you go. So I'm trying to, you know, find productive things to do while you're, you know, while etching. So you're not just sitting there staring at it
1: It can certainly go
0: a long way when you compound it over, you know, two, four, eight teeth can, can actually add up to quite a bit of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's, that sort of touches on a a more, you know, a broader point that anytime you can find um, things to do while you're waiting for something else to be done, you're going to be saving, saving yourself some time and saving the patient some time. So, mm-hmm. like you said, with the etch, if you have etch sitting on, and I'll do this too. If I have, um, if I'm doing, if I have the, have the isolate in, and I'm doing some sealants along with some restorative work in a half of the mouth, well, I'll put some etch. on I'll put etch on the on the six-year molars to um, to initiate the sealant, um, the sealants, and but I'll leave that etch on there for for as long as I need to to get all the anesthetic done. And then Mm -hmm. by the time I have the anesthetic done, those teeth are, those teeth are etched and ready to be bonded and sealed that way. That way you're always, I'm always doing something rather than just sitting there and staring at the staring at the edge and waiting for it to do its job. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm
0: going to hit another one here. Uh, and I, I don't think this is something that you do to my understanding, but, uh, maybe if you have any comments, you can let me know, but I changed the way in my new office that I do impressions. Um, I'm gonna kind of combo my two and five here because they're both kind of related to space maintenance. Nice. Uh, but my number two was I started doing all my impressions for bilateral space maintenance with PVS or with uh, yeah like a heavy body PVS. And then uh, I also have a note about do, um, the way that we do space maintenance, and I know that you and I do that similar. So um, basically, with with my startup, I didn't have a ton of extra square footage where I didn't want to put in a big lab. I've always kind of disliked the process of alginate and working with it and it warping and pouring up stone and it's just messy. And there's a lot of overhead to it and a lot of employee time. So mm-hmm. I tried to, th- you know, what can we do different to make this easier on the kid and myself? So what I, I tried doing is actually worked really well. I keep a tote and it's my impression tote. So if I know a kid's going to need an answer, a lower, lower lingual holding arch, um, the assistants have that in. It's a, it's a, you know, a Tupper Tupperware, you know, Rubbermaid type tote bucket thing, and it's got a bunch of heavy body PVS. Uh, it's a fast set PVS, and people balk at it because they say, oh, it's so much more expensive than alginate, but you can get it on Net 32. And I did the math on it, and like the the big grand scheme math, and ran all the numbers, and um, it's pretty cheap on Net 32, and the cost per impression is pretty minimal. So it's disposable trays of different sizes, and it's this. Cheap, heavy body PVS on net 32 and a little, you know, the little caulk gun that comes with it. I fit my, I fit my bands. I find a tray size. I squirt on the heavy body PVS, have the kid swallow twice to get the spit off of there and then uh, have them open it and I smush it down. It doesn't get all over hell like Alginet does, you know, it's easy to clean up um, it doesn't splooge out everywhere. So mm-hmm. they're gagging on it. It just seems like it's easier to control and it sets pretty quickly. Right. And then, uh, and then you pop it out and you don't have to pour it up right away. You don't need all the stone. You don't need the lab, the wet, the wet tremors, yeah. you know, all the employee time right, to turn right. it up. So your employees free, freed up. Yep. Um, I just, uh, buy or sit, put it in a bag, mail it to the lab. And then, uh, and then they send it back and, and they've all fit quite well. Cause as you know, like the, the PVS just doesn't doesn't warp over time. Right. Um, so that's been actually working pretty well. And uh, it's it's not much different than compound, but you don't need, you know, the, the principle is pretty similar to using a compound impression, but you don't need the hot water bath. And I think it's a, a little bit quicker, but i kind of encourage anybody if you're interested in it to try it because it's tolerated pretty well by the kids. And um, actually all things considered, works pretty well.
1: Right. Yeah. And your, and your staff's going to love it. And you touched on the reason why it's because they don't have to to pour up the impression.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. And nobody really enjoys that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in mm -hmm. in our
1: office, we, you know, we do, we do uh, bilateral space maintainers, but we, we don't do them enough to where um, it's, it's easy to get real efficient at pouring up the, at pouring up the models. So in an, you know, in an office that's not doing very many of those, you, it, it ends up being a situation usually where um, the dentist is kind of having to oversee the, the pour up of the models to make sure that that process is all done correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if you're using a PBS, then you just kind of eliminate that step altogether
0: right yeah. exactly
1: yeah
0: yeah um do you want to hit you know i had mentioned my second part of that was some de novo space maintenance i don't know if you had any any notes about that but
1: yeah um, for I, sure.
0: you and i do de novo and our space maintenance uh philosophies are pretty similar so yeah um, i like any I,
1: pearls for us on that well i love to do the de novo space maintainers uh and those are those are very very efficient when you look at them on, in, in the grand scheme of things because you were el- completely eliminating the, the second appointment for the, the for the patient right mm-hmm. so you can you can you can do everything that needs to be done um in, in one appointment so you know the traditional the traditional uh lab fabricated unilateral space maintainer right you've got to you've got to take the impression and then you've got to send that off to the lab have the lab make it and then have the kids back in a couple of weeks to get that thing seated but if you're, if you're just going to do a chair side, de noble space maintainer, well, then you just do the extraction. Then you skip the impression. Um, you don't have to do that either. And then you just fabricate that chair side, uh, space maintainer and get it cemented right there on the spot. And it's probably Mm. easier, you know, for the kids to tolerate too, because they're, you know, they're, they're numb at that point. And so, um, they're numb and they're on, you know, presumably on nitrous as well. So, So it's going to be easier to just get that thing in there right away and then um, not have have them come back for that second appointment. And the other thing is, too, it's probably there's probably a lot of times where, you know, a kid's going to have an extraction done. And if they have to come back for that second appointment to get that space maintainer seated, well, they're not going to maybe understand that it's just the seating of a space maintainer. So they're going to maybe be thinking to themselves that they're going to have to get. A shot all over again, and they're going to have to get, Mm -hmm. you know, a tooth pulled or you know something that they're not going to want to go through with again. um, They're going to be dreading that, you know, for the two weeks leading up to that that space maintainer seating.
0: Right, right. Well, um, just a thought experiment here, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you take a stab at it. But why why do you think when you bring de novo spacers up to some of the older dentists or to to some maybe older practicing pediatric dentists, why do you think they kind of get shat upon so much in uh you know in the world of pediatric dentistry like any any thoughts or comments on that like because you you know yeah. i know it seems to be kind of a polarizing thing people sure. either yeah. love them or they hate them but sure. uh why, sure. why do you why do you think that is
1: um in, in in this is no knock on people that that do the the lab fabricate space maintenance it's a, it's great uh, you know, i've got nothing against it it's just my preference but i think what happens sometimes if is if a de novo space maintainer is not uh, fitted and seated properly that if it's not okay to get real (laughs) real technical you've got it you've got to get use the drop wire uh the drop wire extension for the for the de novo space maintainer and you got to get that thing uh seated above the height of contour on the tooth that 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 uh, drop wire is abutted against that way when when the patient's chewing, uh, you know, biting down on it, that thing's not going to sink down into the gums because it's going to be held up by that height of contour. So I think what happens sometimes is a lot, if if the space maintainer doesn't get seated, then it's going to get, or if it doesn't get seated properly with that uh, drop wire up above that height of contour, then it's going to sink down into the gums and that creates a bunch of problems. So I think that, that, that scenario is seen often enough by, uh practitioners that it can kind of get give a black eye to the de novo space maintainer but yep. well like i said the whole key is you've got to get it sit, uh seated and fitted and seated properly so that 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 doesn't happen
0: yeah 100 percent. that's exactly um ex- kind of getting at was it i think it just comes down to the small little technical things and and how you seat it and how you fit it making sure you're doing it yep. right um yep. you know, a lot of people just you know, they fit their trombone to the right height, they crimp it, it's completely straight and they just glue it on with some key tack and then it either pops off or it gets embedded into the gums and they think that it's, you know, it's not working properly. But, you know, I think just like anything else when you've, I've, you know, you do a couple hundred of them and you, you learn what helps improve your success rate, but uh, I, I've kind of changed up the way I've, I've done it. So a lot of times I'm doing a spacer over top of an SSC, probably like 75% of the time, you know, sure. over from the steel crown. Well, I always, um, I take a like a coarse football or a diamond burr and I abrade the intaglio of the band of the de novo. And I'll also kind of lightly abrade the, the um, you know, the buckle and lingual or, you know, the surfaces on the outside of the stainless steel crown. And that seems to get me a pretty good grip, you know, a little bit of extra mechanical retention, which is nice because, you know, obviously the name of the game is, not needing to redo these because, you know, every time you've got to redo or re-cement or remake one of these de novos, obviously it's going to eat into overhead and use up chair right. sure time. And so, um, so yeah, I do that. I abrade them and then uh, I use a dual cure cement instead of key tack. And that seems to help. Uh, I know some guys will use Fuji sem, but I like using, I actually use new smile, the, uh, the bio CEM, the same cement I use for my zirconia crowns. Cause it's one less material. I got a stock if I use something I already have. And I like that it's dual cure because I can, you know, I can get it smushed down, I wipe off the top with a wet gauze and then I can cure it and tack it up and, and light cure it and a much stronger grip. Um, so I do that and then I also, and I almost always make sure I take a three prong plier out and I put a little scoop in it so that it's not a completely straight bar. I'll kind of um, do it just a gentle contour that kind of contours the socket of the tooth um, and then, uh, always going up and I either do the saddle rest for the canines or the little finger rests, kind of like you were saying on, um, you know, you just, you want something to kind of support the, the diving board and, you know, the leveraging yep. force there. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, if you shape them right and you crimp them right and you get a good fit and you don't just slap it on, um, and you get good retention, um, I, I think the success rates are pretty damn good. And you and I in residency, made a spreadsheet. I don't know if you remember that. Like we we did like, uh, how do you call it? Like an economist standpoint of like looking at all the pluses and minuses and the total cost and opportunity costs of like a lab fabricated unilateral spacer versus a right. digital spacer. And yeah, I remember you, doing that. <laughs> you know, if you account for like chair time, um, your lab costs, your, uh, we're a couple, of, we're a couple of dental nerds, aren't we? Dude, it's always horrible. Well, this shows <laughs> you, you know, you have so many kids that fail in residency, you come up with these stupid things to do, but, <laughs> but yeah, dude, when you actually run the numbers on it and what your time is worth and, you know, reappointing that patient and chewing up chair time, you come out way ahead, you know, on an annual basis by doing the de novos, even if your fail rate is a little bit higher, but you can substantially get that down. I think if you, you know, if you, learn how to adapt those, those de novos, right. And don't just slap them on straight, like actually put a little bit of work into them, make them look like a lab fabricated spacer. And uh, I think you can have pretty good success rate success rates with them.
1: Yep. Yep. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah.
0: Um, I've got one more, but I've been hogging this. Do you have a, uh, you have any, any, a uh, couple more or any more on your list that you've got going on?
1: Well, I don't, I don't know about anything, any, anything specific. I guess I would just say, um, something I've learned since I got out of residency is how how important it is to, to be as um, repetitive as possible and and as consistent with your protocols and your and your uh, techniques as possible. I learned this from from a pediatric dentist that I work with. Uh, his name's his name's Doctor Flake. And he, around the uh, around the hospital, he's he's so speedy around the hospital that people call him the Flash. That's 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 a nickname he's been given by the hospital staff just because he's so fast at what he does. And it, and he's not only fast, but he does it at a very high quality too. And and he'll he's told me a few times before that the whole key to him being as as efficient as he is is that he is very um, very regimented and he sticks to the to the same the same steps of the process every time he he's doing cases and 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 I've watched him work too and that's what he does it's the same thing every time step by step and I think you know the reason the reason he is so efficient doing it that way um, is because that allows his his team members to know exactly what's what steps are coming next and so they can always be ready and, and be anticipating and um, be ready to to assist them with, with whatever step is coming next, without the the lag that that might otherwise um, that that might otherwise be there if they're not exactly sure with what if they're not exactly sure with what step is going to come next. So, I think that's a big part of being efficient is being able to to repeat those steps every single time you're doing you're doing cases because really what you know in pediatric dentistry what we do we, the you know the the procedures that we do there's not very many procedures that we do. Um, but the, when we do the same procedures over and over and over again, mm-hmm. as we all know, so if you can, if you can really dial that stuff in and do the same steps of the process every single time, it, it really helps you and your team be as efficient as possible. Right,
0: right. Yeah. know I think there's a lot of truth in that, you know, you ever notice, like if, uh, if you're trying to do uh, say a, a occlusal composite or thing and your assistants, uh, like your, our assistants, I think almost know that better than we do. And you got your head down and you're working and you know, normally you reach your hand out and your assistant knows, okay, he's going to want the ball burnisher next. And, yep. you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, um, let me, let me see my Explorer real quick. And then it's kind of like, like, you know, there'll be like a little short, awkward pause. Or if you're like, oh, let me, it just like, it throws the whole momentum off when you kind yeah. of start switching things up. So I think right. there's a lot of truth right. in that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I, i've got one more thing i wanted to touch on just kind of speaking of composites uh one or two things there and then uh and then my my beer is going to be about gone here so <laughs> um uh you've always been pretty quick at composites and i think that's you know maybe to or uh maybe you can attribute that to your experience and years you know being in a, a general practice i guess but one thing that has worked well in my hands for primary teeth specifically, and I'll say, I feel like I'm pretty quick at primary teeth, permanent teeth. I feel like I am not very fast at because I tend to, uh, when it comes to composites, I, I tend to pick up the high speed and open things up and then I'll get in there and start, you know, um, cleaning out decay and using the round and stuff. And I, I find I end up always picking up the high speed a second time to reopen things. Maybe it's just because all the the kids I have just have giant ballooning decay and I end up having undercut enamel everywhere, but it always bothers me. And I'm like, man, this is, this is time consuming. I know some guys that are really good, you know, can kind of of nail it the first time they pick up the high speed, but uh, I always feel like I'm not real efficient with my time there. However, on primary teeth, one thing that's really helped me is uh, on my class twos, um, about 90% of the time, I actually have just been using exclusive composite, and I started doing this in residency, and I've had pretty good results, and it's probably going to be a, a bit of a, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to get a little heat from a few people on it, but experience and what I'm seeing come back, it's looking pretty good so far. Um, But my logic is, you know, everybody likes glass ionomer for primary teeth, which is great, um, you know, because of its speed um, qualities, you know, you can get it in there fast, it cures fast, uh, but it obviously it doesn't wear really well. Well, then you've got composites where traditional packable composite, you tend to get, you know, a few voids in, it's harder to get a good seal, Um, it takes a little bit more time. So uh, I started using a flowable composite, I use Beautifil. Uh, I use the Beautifil Flow Plus, the blue version, but it's basically like a heavier bodied flowable. And, you know, I prep a class two on a primary tooth. I get my little T-band on or my section or my little, I use the de novo band and wedge it. But I'll fill up the box with this, you know, a heavier body flowable composite. I think I've done it with Surefill too, but fill up the, the bottom of the box, cure it really well, fill up the top of it. Um, you know, the rest of the restoration, cure it really well, take off the band, cure both sides. And uh, the, the follow-ups, and granted, I haven't been doing this 10 years, but the couple of years I've seen some of my follow-ups from this, they hold up pretty well. And I, I wouldn't do this on a permanent tooth, but it's nice because it's really fast. It's really fast. Your margins are completely sealed and flush everywhere. There's no voids because it kind of creeps in all those little cracks and crevices. And, you know, we're, we don't need to make this composite last 15 years. We need to get, you know, what at most seven years, but more like three to five, ideally, you know, it kind of depends, but um, I've, I've, I've just had really good luck doing it and it's substantially cut back on my time packing in uh, you know, a packable composite, I guess. Um, and I have done the snow plow technique and I've done, I, I really get kind of anal about my bonding and making sure I'm doing all that properly, but I have felt really good. I think the technology and the newer flowables is really, really good and it's really forgiving and I think in primary teeth, you know, you're better off getting a really good seal, getting everything, you know, nice and flush, good, nice sealed margins. I I found you have to do a good dovetail. That's, you know, you've got actually a good millimeter, millimeter and a half, like 330 height of, of a dovetail. Cause if it's too shallow or it slopes, you can, it'll chip or, or, you know, like almost like a bevel, it'll fracture and then you'll get recurrent decay. So you've got to have a good, good retention there. But that being said, I really like my flowable little style that i do and i think it it saves me a lot of time so i uh, i don't think that's something that i know i think you use a lot more or you know maybe use more packable mm-hmm. but um i don't know if you've played with some of these new flowables but I've, I've just been kind of a big fan of some of these newer flowables that are out there for primary teeth
1: yeah i, I just, and yeah that's great that's go for it man and uh, i i use i use packable because i'm just kind of old dogs new tricks here <laughs> i've been using packable composite for my class twos so, and well for all my composites that i've been that i do um, and that's what I, that's what I'm continuing to do. The, but the other pediatric dentists in my practice, they use global composites and they get great results too. So mm. I think, I think either way, it's going to kind of be a uh, provider preference, you know, what, whatever feels best in your hands, whatever you think you can do the best job with is, is, is probably the best is, is what you want to go with, I suppose, whatever you're most comfortable with.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think, you know, most important after you, after you do, you do some composites on a kid um the the most important thing to make make the composite last is to make sure that kids brushing his teeth <laughs> so no, honestly right so so <laughs> whatever you know whatever whatever you can do to to emphasize to the kids and to the parents uh, the importance of uh, of keeping their teeth clean to to try to prevent recurrent decay. Whatever you can do in that regard is 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 probably the most important thing you can do if you're if you're doing composites. That's my opinion anyway. Yeah,
0: no, for sure. And that gets overlooked a lot too. Is you know, at the yeah. end of the day, you know, we're trying to solve the world's problems and all the oral health problems with a half an hour, you know, half an hour's worth of operative. When what we really should be focusing more on is, you know. I, put a toothbrush in the kid's hand and watch and brush and <laughs> encourage them. You know, that's, what's going to make a difference. And I think we kind of do a shit job of that sometimes, but sometimes,
1: uh, yeah. Sometimes it yeah. gets easily overlooked.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, I think uh, I've got a, you know, I'm going to, we'll wrap this up here pretty quick. Cause I've, I've got a big GA in office, GA tomorrow. I have five, oh, nice. five, five, five uh, private insurance GA cases. So it's going to be like probably my biggest day yet tomorrow, but it's going to be like, you know, well over a $10,000 day, which is nice because those days pay the bills when you got all these startup bills coming
1: in. So that'll be kind of cool. Oh, shit. Beer, shit. And beers on you next time. Beers on me next time. That's right. (laughs) Um,
0: So I was playing with this idea. I thought, uh, I don't know if I'll keep doing this, but uh, you know, I thought it'd be kind of cool to end the podcast by, you know, how, no, I like in residency at the end of the day, you'd like sit down and kind of bitch about one of these, you know, really tough cases or a kid that blew up on you or, you know, a really difficult parent. And sometimes, you know, you kind of miss in the residency days, how nice it was to kind of vent about some of these things or, you know, so I was like, yeah, you know, I I could pick um, an interesting case or something that happened throughout the week. Um, And, you know, we each pick something. So I, I kind of put you on the spot on this. I've got one in mind I can share real quick, but, you know, it's kind of nice to just, People listening might say, oh, you know, I, I have some crazy parents like that, too. So it's nice to hear um, we're not alone. But uh, I've had a couple weird ones this week. Like today, you know, we were talking about the De Novos. I had a girl who chewed on a Twizzler today and popped that one off. And that was kind of a pain in the ass. But the, the biggest one I had this week um, that, uh, you know, kind of a roll your eyes parent was uh, mom and dad bringing a four year old girl, not very cooperative, um, four quadrants of giant bombed out decay like. Um, not like little, but bombs, like, like, I don't know, non-restorable, multiple large extractions. I think most like B I L and S are all extractions, uh, AJ, K and T are all pulps and crowns and spacers. And, and she's not cooperative. I'm like, mom, this is a slam dunk, hands down sedation case. Mom's like, well, we're moving soon. So can we do it sooner rather than later? I'm like, all right, let me pull some strings. I move her up. You know, it's a big case private insurance case, like a four thousand, forty five hundred dollar case, but like like big case. So a week goes by and mom calls me all worked up. She and dad decide that they are gonna be moving to Alaska, uh, just not for work, but just because they feel like it's you know, just they wanna try something new. He's got a buddy up there, they're gonna move to Alaska and they're gonna share stuff over there. And they're not going to have enough money left over to fix their kids' teeth. So can you just fix them in office? Like, can you just try it with laughing gas? And I'm like, what, are you for real? So we talked about it. We talked about it. And the parents are really nice. But, you know, ultimately I'm like, well, I feel bad for this little girl because we've got a couple, you know, like two weeks to get this done and they can't afford the sedation. So I just told her, I'm like, well, we can try a quadrant at a time and see how it goes. So I did the first quadrant this week and it was about as big of a disaster as you could think. I tried the nitrous, <laughs> tried walking her through it, but it was a huge, like bombed out, like uh, S and T, T, I probably shouldn't eat, I should have just extracted it, but I, I had to give her an IM block because, you know, it was a hot tooth and she was crying the whole time and then. I got the I got S out, did a pulp and crown on T, kind of shoddy dentistry because she's kind of freaking out. Mom's holding her hands. And I look at mom like, I think we're wrapping up, and she's and you know, the little girl's freaking out. Mom's like, Well, are you gonna do the spacer you talked about? And I like kind of thought, I'm like, What are you for real? Like she's freaking out. <laughs> and and I'm like, she's like, How long is it gonna take? I'm like, I don't know, eight minutes maybe. She's like, Let's just go ahead and do it. So I'm sitting there wrenching on this little de novo spacer and I got it done, but man, dude, I got done and I was sweating and I was mad and it was tough on her. (laughs) So it's like, it just goes to show you, you know, we've sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, you try to do what's going to be best for the kid. And at least we've, we got a couple of them fixed, but you know, 90% of what we do are pretty bread and butter stuff, but you get a couple of them that they definitely make you work for it, you know, and that's where uh, that speed and efficiency comes in. You know what I'm saying? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) That's true, man. That's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, any difficult ones this week or weird ones this week at
1: all well you know sometimes it's I find that when, when you think you might be doing a patient or a family a favor you find out that you're actually doing something that pisses them off <laughs> <laughs> for sure okay. yeah so so for instance if you know if you if i I had a patient with a full mouth of work to do and it was a very, very anxious patient crying crying and crying preoperatively. Um an older kid and, and a teenager. And we got we got I got half the mouth done and and um I asked him if uh, you know I said I was like, how was it? Did it did it hurt? Was it was it easy? it Was it easier than you thought it'd be? He said, Yeah, it didn't hurt and it much easier than he thought it'd be. So I, my, my thinking at that point was, okay, we got him through it, through a nice, uh, restorative appointment, you know, one in which he probably, you know, he's going to think to himself in retrospect, it was much easier than, than he thought it was going to be. So I thought, you know, let's give him a nice, easy appointment. We'll, we'll reschedule the the rest for, for next time. Well, it turns out that they, that, uh, the parents were pretty upset that I didn't go ahead and get all the work done in one appointment. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you might think you're doing somebody a favor, but it, it might turn around to backfire. And, and I guess, I don't know how to, to prevent any, any, you know, a scenario like that from happening, but sometimes it, it happens. But it, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can, you know, it's, yeah.
0: I don't know. It's, there's been plenty of times where it's like, you know, I wish I would have just done more and, You know, I feel like as a general rule of thumb, you can't go wrong. Just try to be efficient. And if you think you've got an extra five minutes or, you know, 10 minutes before your next recall check and the kid only has, you know, one or two teeth left on the treatment plan, just like go knock it out and be done and just be done because you never know what's going to happen. You know, these are, you know, I know you're in the same boat, but kids fail. Parents, cars don't start bad weather. Parents get mad. Kid gets sick. COVID happens. And then, you know, then you're. Spending everybody's time and effort trying to get this kid back in for one quadrant or a couple teeth. Sure, um, sure, sure yeah, sure. yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that's a that's a tough one. But well, I tell you what, Nate, my beer's done. You probably finished yours about twenty minutes ago. Yeah, I got
1: about one drink left, but I'll I'll, I'll get it down here. it off for me, cool. Well, hey, dude,
0: it was fun, and uh, I like brainstorming these type of things with you, and it's you know nice to get together and do these things, but. Uh, I know yeah, you and I man. got a couple trips planned coming up. We're going to see each other here. We were just in Arizona yep. hanging out, so we got right. a, a beach. We're going to be on a, in Mexico here this summer, hopefully for a few days, so we can catch up then a little bit. But um, yeah, I always like talking about this stuff, so I appreciate you being on. And uh, you bet, we'll my pleasure, we'll,
1: case. And I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing this podcast. It'll be good. good no, for, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, it'll be good. I, for I, us hope, uh,
0: I hope there's a couple other guys just like us that you know, kind of like hearing some of this stuff. Otherwise, you know, at a bare minimum, at least we got to drink a beer and have a little fun. So it's all (laughs) going to work out. Yeah. All right, Nate. Well, Hey, thanks for being on and uh, have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.
1: You bet, buddy. All
0: All right. right, We'll see you. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to bruise and tiny teeth. The best way to say thank you is by telling your friends so we can grow the podcast So be sure to share and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll
1: see you again next week.